passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning, equally lay in leaves, no step, had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. I wonder this morning if you have taken the road less traveled by, the road of faith. Abraham took such a road. God's story was taking a significant turn toward the ultimate plan God had in mind. Abraham was to play a pivotal role in that story, but it required him to exercise more faith than he had ever exercised in his life. How did Abraham have the faith to go wherever God might lead him? How can we have the faith required to do whatever God wants us to do? Big question. And the answer has to do with the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Almighty God. It has to do with the fact that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy. His trustworthiness inspires, informs, invigorates our faith. Our God can be counted on to keep his promises and to accomplish whatever he says he will do. Let faith arise. For God is the only one we know who is like that. We break our promises. We do our best to keep our agreements with each other, but we break some of them. God never does. He's the only one who keeps every promise. This week we have read chapter 2 of the story. This is the story of the first three generations of a nation. God is beginning to form, to establish. If you look at the timeline, I hope you've been looking at these timelines on page 13, you can see that this part of the story takes about 200 years to occur. Not quick stuff here. Even then, the nation of Israel was not yet an official nation at the end of this second chapter. It would be another 500 years before the Israelites would actually take possession of the promised land, now known as Israel. It would be 300 more years after that before they would have their first king, King Saul. So a long time is happening for this nation to be established, and yet God is turning a corner here. God is choosing a man named Abraham, a man much like us, a, a, a fallen man, a frail man, a man who makes mistakes, and yet God uses him in his story. I want us to notice two phrases this morning, two phrases of two words each. The first is this, I will, I will. These are the words that God uses as he establishes his covenant, his promise with Abraham. God was determined to fulfill his promise in spite of the frailties and the failures of people. God chose to create a new nation through one man, Abraham. And he said through this man he would reveal his plan. He would continue to work through this new community of faith, through his family. And God promised Abraham several things. He said, I will Make your descendants into a great nation. I will give this nation a land in which to dwell. I will bless all other nations through you and through this nation. And 2,000 years later, God's son, Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, was born, thus fulfilling this covenant promise. 
The other two words we need to notice this morning are these, by faith. This is the part that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their families were asked to play, by faith. God had given his promises. Now the question was, would they believe him? Would they trust him to make good on his promises? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not perfect people. They were as fallen as the rest of us, but they trusted God, and they put their hope in God, and God used them in powerful ways to accomplish his purpose. Abraham's response to God is captured in just two words, by faith. Look at Hebrews 11.8 for a moment. It says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. And if we pick up the rest of that thought, it continues in Hebrews 11.9. By faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Hmm. What kind of faith did Abraham have? I'll tell you, it's the kind of faith described in the first verse of chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Abraham was called by God to leave his parents and his familiar surroundings to go to a place yet unnamed. The destination was not known, and yet he went. And when I was a teenager, I grew up in a youth group in Largo, Florida, pretty good, strong youth group of the church there. And back then, we used to have Sunday night services. Anybody remember those? And we had Sunday night services. We have another preaching service, another song service and everything. And then after, youth, after this evening service, the youth group which had met before the evening service, would all go out together. Most, at least once a, a, a month we would do that. And we didn't know where we were going. It was called Destination Unknown. And uh, we would pile in our cars. The youth minister would get in his car with a bunch of kids, and he would head out, and he'd be the lead car in the caravan. And we would hopefully not lose track of him because we had no idea where he was going to stop. And we would drive all around town for 15 or 20 minutes, and finally he'd end up at somebody's home, and there would be a bunch of snacks there for us and games to play. Or maybe there would be a pool party, and he had warned us ahead of time, bring your bathing suit, but we weren't sure where we were going to go. Sometimes we ended up at the beach. Sometimes we ended up at the bowling alley. We never knew exactly where Destination Unknown was, and that was a lot of fun. But I don't imagine it was a lot of fun for Abraham because <laughs> he had everybody with him. He had everything with him. He was a wealthy man by this time, and so he had everything he owned moving very slowly hundreds and hundreds of miles waiting for God to say, okay, now you can stop. You've arrived. Because he didn't know what arrive was. <laughs> he didn't know the destination. And he again spoke to him. 2091 B.C., according to our timeline, line, 11 years after leaving Haran, 15 years before Isaac would be born. And God speaks to him again. He says, I will make you into a mighty nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Abram then traveled throughout the land of Canaan. And he said, 
Look around you. Everything you see, I'm going to give to your offspring. Everything you see. After a while, Abram and his nephew Lot had to separate their flocks because of the great wealth. The land could not support both of them. They were so wealthy, they could just eating up everything in sight. So they separated, and Lot faithfully chose to live near Sodom, a pretty wicked city. After a while, the king of Sodom and other kings had a war, and uh, they lost. And Lot and his family and everything he owned became part of the spoils of war, and they were taken off. Abraham hears about that. And Abraham musters his men. He has 318 men that work for him. This is a wealthy guy, folks. 318 men, and they go after the spoils of war. And they rescue Lot and his family and all that he owns back. And they bring him back home again. And this is a mighty victory, an amazing thing that Abraham has done. And yet that's not what's foremost on his mind because then the story tells us he's back to God saying, God, yeah, but... But when is the promise going to be fulfilled? When am I going to become the father you promised? And God replies, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward. One day your descendants will number more than the stars of the heaven, if you can in fact count those. And significantly, the Bible says, Abraham believed. And God credited this faith to him as righteousness. Sometime later, he got impatient again. He and Sarai decided that they are going to help God out. And so a common practice that time was for a woman's handmaiden to act as a surrogate to produce children for her mistress. And Sarai gives Abraham her Egyptian handmaid named Hagar to be the surrogate. Abram sleeps with Hagar. She gets pregnant and Ishmael is born. Predictably, there was immediate conflict between Hagar and Sarah. And Abram is forced to send Hagar and Ishmael, this new baby, out into the live into the desert to fend for themselves. And, and, and as a younger man, they grow up. He grows up there. They would have died except God intervened. Ishmael grew up in the desert, a wild donkey of a man, you read in here, and he became an excellent archer. Well, the story goes on at 99 years old now. Many years have passed, 24 years since God first appeared to him and sent him away. He appears to him again and he changes his name to Abraham, a father of many nations. God promised that nations and kings would come from him and that he would establish an everlasting covenant with him. One year later, Isaac is finally born to Sarah and Abraham. And Abraham is 100 and she is 90. His name means laughter. That's a very appropriate name to somebody who has a child at 90, wouldn't you laugh? <laughs> I would. It'd be like, wow. Won't this be fun telling this story to everybody? <laughs> they had their first baby together. And the Bible, as I read earlier, says, and Abraham's body was as good as dead. I mean, he, he was, there's no way this could happen. This is impossible. It seemed like God's promise was finally, finally gaining some traction here. Finally, things are going to happen. His promises are being fulfilled. And then God tests Abraham. You read that part of the story. Isaac's about 15 years old. God comes to him and says, You know that son you love? A son of promise? You know the one you waited so long for? I want you to take him out to the mount that I will show you and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. What a test. What an amazing thing. We read about this in Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Follow along. Can you imagine the emotions going through this man's head? 
Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, immediately, in other words, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. I think that's pretty significant. We will come back to you. Abraham doesn't understand, but Abraham trusts God. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I cannot imagine what's going through Abraham's mind right now. How do you answer such a question? I see the fire in the wood, Father, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Have you ever bound your child? Can you imagine? Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Nissi. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided The story continues. Isaac grows up. Abraham wanted to find him a wife from his own people. So he sent his servant back home to find Isaac a wife. He brought back Rebekah. She and Isaac had twins together, Esau and Jacob, but not for 20 more years. This time stretches out. Esau was born first and supposed to have the birthright, the bigger share of the inheritance, but twice Jacob conspired to get his birthright from him. Jacob ended up with Isaac's birthright Isaac's blessing uh, rather than Esau. He had to run away to escape his brother's wrath. Jacob ended up living with his uncle Laban far away. He fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, and wanted to marry her. Laban deceived Jacob, however, and Jacob ended up with both Rachel and her older sister, Leah. To add insult to injury, Leah started having children right away. But Rachel, the love of his life, was barren. Finally, after 20 years, she had a son named Joseph, but later a second son, Benjamin. After 20 years of service to his uncle Laban, Jacob decided to return home to face his brother Esau. He came up with a plan to pacify his brother by sending extravagant gifts on ahead. He divided his vast vast family and belongings into two groups so that if Esau attacked them, maybe one of the groups would escape. And the night before he was to meet up with his brother Esau that he was so estranged with, He wrestled with God all night long. Did you read that part? And in the morning, God blessed him 
changed his name from Jacob to Israel, and renewed his promise that many nations would descend from him. And when he met his brother Esau, Esau forgave him and welcomed him home. Now this chapter that we read from the story demonstrates a striking duality, that God uses broken people to fulfill his unbreakable promises. He uses broken people to fulfill his unbreakable promises. You need to get that. God's people continue to make bad choices that expose this sinful nature that they had. They made mistake after mistake. It's easy for us to see how messed up they really were. But God continues to accomplish his purposes, his promises through them. What sin had changed, faith overcame. Even though they were sinful people, even though they made sinful choices, they put their faith in God, they responded in faith, by faith, God was able to fulfill his promises in their lives. Abraham picked up stakes, went where God sent him. Abraham and Sarah, through laughter and tears, finally saw God fulfill his promise of the birth of a son, Isaac. By faith, Abraham found a wife for her. Jacob came to faith after literally literally wrestling with God all night. And by faith, Esau also showed up and showed grace and forgiveness. With every one of these stories, we are reminded that God works through flawed people like you and me. That God works through people that make stupid, foolish choices. That God works through people that have failed, people that feel unqualified, people that feel like God could never use me. I don't know enough. I can't do enough. I don't have the skills. I'm scared to death. Whatever your excuse may be, God wants to use you because that's how God brings glory to himself. He specifically, intentionally chosen a man, chose a man like Abraham because Abraham didn't have the strength to even have a child so that he could have a nation and nations upon nations of people through this man. So not that that Abraham would get glory, but that God would get glory. That's the point. So that we would know his story is being written here on earth. So please remember these two words, I will. Because when God says, I will do something, he will do it. You can't get in his way. You can't stop it. You may be part of it, or you may be run around by it, But he will do it, and he wants to do it through you and me. As God wrote his story to redeem man, he said, I will. His words were an ironclad guarantee. His master plan to restore us to himself gets a fresh start when he says, I will, because when God says, I will, it happens. Even today, in us, in spite of our unreliableness, in spite of our erratic behavior. God is determined to fulfill his promises with or without us, whether we cooperate or not. So why not cooperate? Why not believe? Because God is good for his promises. Remember two more words by faith, because that's our part. That's where we get in here. That's how we become part of the story. Abraham was credited righteousness because he believed, not because he was good, not because he was always obedient. He made some foolish mistakes even after he said yes to God. But he trusted God, and his faith was demonstrated by his obedience. God knew his heart just as he knows your heart, and he knows mine. And he will credit righteousness to anyone who truly believes. What about us this morning? 
What about our faith in God and in God's promises? We may want to ask, you know, who am I that God would use me? Why would God want to, to take in my life and, and make something of it? How would, would it would even be possible? It seems crazy. It seems unlikely. It seems, it seems like it would never happen. But God says, that's exactly where I want to work. And if you are feeling today unqualified, unskilled, uh, unintelligent, it's another way of saying stupid, <laughs> if you feel like you could never be used by God, that's exactly what he wants you to acknowledge. And then put your faith in him, trust him that he will do what he says he will do through you and through me. Can we have such faith today? Can we trust God so much that we actually become willing to obey him immediately in every way? And when God says to us, I will bless you, I will watch over you, I will show you what to do, I will use you by my strength, do we believe him? Do we act on that, by, that belief by obeying him? Well, we can. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Are you willing today to pray a faithful, courageous prayer? Lord, where do you want me to go? How do you want to use my life? What do you want me to do? I am here and I'm ready and I put my hope and my trust in you. Is that your prayer this morning? I hope it is. And I hope you'll pray with me right now. Lord, we bow before you confessing our need, confessing our failures, confessing our sin confessing our frailty, our brokenness, our selfish, sinful natures, and knowing that we need you to make anything good come of our lives. Lord, we hear your promises. We hear you say, I will do this, and we know you're good for them. And we just want to bow before you today and show you our willingness, our faith, our desire to serve. And we pray that we will have the faith not only to say words, to uh, think thoughts, but to move, to obey, to act upon those. Because that's how faith is proven, by our obedience. Lord, when we are scared, when we are nervous, when we feel unqualified, when we are ashamed, lift us up and help us to know that maybe that's right where we need to be. We need to know that so that we can be used in a mighty way. Thank you for Abraham and the others who have given these examples, who have shown us the path. Thank you for his being the father of faith because he was the first to really step out. And through him, you brought Jesus to our lives. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I